The following production is brought to you by the Talkin' Buds Leave Show. One of the things that we have always prided ourselves on here on the Talkin' Buds Leaf Show is I like to think we are an objective podcast. Like, yes, we cover the Leafs. We're Leaf fans. We're sitting in a Leaf nerd studio cave right now. We cheer for the team. There's no two ways about it. But within this fan base, it's like anything else. You've got your extremes. You've got the, like, irrationally, epically bizarrely positive people who just they can never do anything wrong anytime you say anything negative about them you're an idiot look at the numbers every like losing in the playoffs is unlucky blah 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 and then you've got the extremely negative thing where they can't do anything right this team sucks Dubas is an idiot blow the whole thing up whatever and you and I have always called it down the middle if they stink we say they stink if they're good we say they're playing really well With that in mind, and given the last week, which saw two pretty good victories against a bad Columbus team and a bad Chicago team, and then one brutal old-school Leaf loss on the second half of a back-to-back against Columbus again, where people were once again bitching and complaining about the effort, as we currently sit here right now, Leafs have 74 points, Tampa Bay Lightning have 73 um, I think this is going to be it the rest of the way. I actually don't hate this because we've been sitting here for weeks going, God, this is boring. So at least the the battle for home ice will give us something to sink our teeth into in the home stretch here. Given what I just said about objective takes, how are you feel like, are you confident that they can win? against the Tampa Bay Lightning in a seven-game series right now? No. I am not confident at all. And I, I find myself being um, just between two opinions of this team. And it's just earlier in the year when they were playing their best hockey, I thought the way they were winning those hockey games was how they could win a playoff series, just playing better defensively, being tighter, and... Everyone said, or the, the naysayers said, of course, the Leafs are winning in November and December. And I think me and you said, but they're playing so well that I, I don't think it's the case. And then now we're, we're in February again. And they haven't, they've been kind of a above 500 hockey team for the past month here. And now I'm just kind of back to, to thinking that they're not, they're not good enough. Like they, 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 they did play well, but they've come back to earth. And I don't, I don't know. I don't feel super confident in this hockey team right now. Is there a move that they could make? Do you believe that they are a, a, a deal away, a trade away from putting them where they need to be? Or are you like, no, this team's going to, this is the same core, the same management. We're going to live and die with the core four here. There's no one you can bring in that's going to push this team over the top. And one of the reasons why I'm kind of poking at that right now is this has been the week of... Patrick Kane, let's go get Patrick Kane. 
I want to make myself clear on this let's go get Patrick Kane train that everybody's on. I love the idea of Patrick Kane in a Leaf uniform. I hate the idea of paying a massive price for a guy who's been dealing with a hip injury for months who looked awful, like completely awful and invisible Wednesday night against the Blackhawks. Sure. You want to go get Patrick Kane? Awesome. I'm not giving up anything quality for him because I don't believe he's good enough right now to push this team over the hump. And there's some people who are going to crucify me for that take, but I don't care. Like, if if you can get him and you can trade a, a late-round pick and a guy off the Marlies or a, or a roster player for him, but even then, how do you make the money work? Chicago's going to have to retain some salary, which why would they do that if you're not giving them back a quality asset? I, I'm... I don't want to hear this Patrick Kane anymore. It doesn't make any sense. This city's for, for all teams. Think about how many um, make-believe scenarios there have been for superstar big-name players to come play for either the Jays, the Leafs, or the Raptors. Like, a couple months ago, the Shohei Otani was coming to the Blue Jays. And now we're talking about Patrick Kane coming to Toronto. Patrick Kane, there is a... chance of that happening. That is not happening. What is happening is everybody is bored out of their minds talking about the trade deadline because that's all we've been talking about for a month. Oh, longer than that, man. Longer than that. And it's just now everybody just to get on the radio, get on your podcast, get on your YouTube channel. I don't care what medium it is. It's now everyone's bored out of their minds and we're all just going to convince ourselves that Patrick Kane's going to come to the Toronto Maple Leafs because there's literally nothing else to talk about because they aren't getting Timo Meyer. They're not getting Patrick Kane. They're going to get somebody who's not exciting, who's not going to play in that position that everyone wants them to play them in. And it's just, it's all just boredom talk to me, which I'd be okay with because I personally think that the prices for some of these name guys like a Timo Meyer that you just said are way too high. So if you can get a guy that can bolster your top six and you can make the money work, I'm I'm totally for that. Because I just think last year, after they lost to Tampa, Kyle Dubas came out and he basically said, you know, this is we're gonna live and die with this group. And we believe in this group. And at the end of the day, it's the core guys of this team that are gonna take you to the promised land. And yes. You need supplemental help in your bottom six, and that's something they haven't gotten, and that's something I I think that they need to prioritize and I think will help them. But when you start throwing around these name guys, I just don't I just don't see it. I don't see it happening. I don't see anybody coming in here. I think it is like, listen, you're going to play Tampa. You might have game one in Amelie Arena in Tampa now. And it's on you guys to go out there and do it. And I know there's an argument to be made that, like, well, you know, they've, they've had a pretty good season again. Dubas should go out and get them some help. But at what cost? And I know that I was sitting here. I, I Listen, there's people who are listening to this who are like, you're crazy. You were on here two weeks ago, and you're like, just make the deal. Just make the deal. But it's like, I'm not opposed to moving off of Matthew Nyes, but it's like what Nick Richards said to us last week. You better be damn sure you're getting a good player who's going to be here a really long time if you're going to move off an asset like Matthew Nyes. I think you hit the nail on the head a couple of minutes ago when you asked, is one player coming in enough? It, to me, that is the question. They go out and blow their brains out to go get Patrick Kane or Timo Meyer or whoever 
impact forwards at the top of the trade deadline board. Is that enough? And I, I honestly, I if I had to give an opinion right now, I don't think it is. I really don't. Going out and just trading another first round pick and your top prospect for a guy to come in and fill the role that everybody wants him to fill, I I, I just don't think that that's going to put them over the hump. I really don't. I just, it's not happening either. It's it's not happening. It's just, it's it's actually really irritating to put on a show that covers the Leafs and listen to them putting Patrick Kane in a Maple Leafs oh, uniform. A, dude, there's so Every much. Every show's doing it. It's so brutal. much delusion in this fan base. And if you don't share that delusion, you're negative. And it's like, we're not negative. We're not. This is a good hockey team. But guess what? They're going to play another really good hockey team in the first round who beat them last year and has been to the Stanley Cup final three years in a row. Like, if the Lightning beat the Leafs and play the Bruins in the second round, nobody's sitting there going, oh, the Bruins are going to walk here. Like, no one's doing that. Like, this is like, you're you're playing a modern-day NHL dynasty. So I think sitting here and being skeptical of when you see nights like Saturday night against Columbus and you see the issues they have in the bottom six and you see the the issues with Matt Murray or whatever and you see how god-awful Justin Hole is and, you like, it's it's okay to sit here and be like, they might lose in the first round again. And here's what I'll say. I've been on here with you couple weeks just bitching about Gary's modern day NHL and how how much it sucks and how much is like an entertain an entertainment product it's it's awful we're gonna get our own sort of interesting theater here in these next couple of weeks because we're gonna see what's really going on behind the scenes does Kyle Dubas believe his job is in jeopardy because if he does you can't worry about Matthew Nyes on the left wing two years from now you got to worry about winning a round. And as you and I have said multiple times, we do think that's enough to save his job is winning that one round. So it's going to be really, really interesting to see like where, because it hasn't really been addressed and he was asked about it last week and he kind of danced around it and was like, well, I don't want to talk about that right now and whatever. Nobody knows what Brendan Shanahan's doing behind the scenes and what he thinks and how he feels we're going to get a really good look here at does this man believe his back is against the wall? Because if it is, it's time to go Anthopolis here. Yeah, it's true. He really has no reason not to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So there's why not do it? If you're, if you're going to get fought, if winning, if your job depends on winning a single round, you can't worry about where Matthew Nyes is going to slot into your lineup two years from now because you won't be here to see it. And you don't even know if, like, I, I know it's very exciting having a prospect who everyone likes, but you also have no idea if he's even going to be, he, who knows, he could be a third liner. But, but I do agree with what Nick said last week, which is you can't, and this is part of the, the issue here is everyone knows the Leafs are looking for depth, whether that be on defense, whether that be on forward, whether that be whatever. So the prices for anyone are insanely high. Like any sort of trade discussion that Kyle Dubas engages in, Matthew Nyes is the first. When you're talking to the opposing, okay, we want uh, Timo Meyer. Okay, we want Matthew Nyes and this guy and this guy and this guy. 
And so it's like, well, we won't give you knives, but we'll give you this, this, and this. And then the Sharks go, nope. And you're not getting Timo Meyer. Yeah. Because they know that this is a team that it w- has to win a round. And that's a really unfortunate spot to be in. I, I think they really... They really need to at least do something to to bolster those bottom two lines uh, on their forward group. Like I, I was watching that Chicago game, and and you're looking at the fourth line, and I know it's a fourth line, but when you're playing a team like Tampa, it, it, that does matter because we've seen fourth liners burn. Look how effective Corey Perry is when he plays the Leafs. He's a fourth liner, and I, and I'm watching the game. And I see, like no no offense, but Zach Aston reads the most boring hockey player to ever don the uniform. And he's not even the worst player on that line. There's, there's been a revolving door of dudes on that line. And it's just, it's, it's largely ineffective. And their third line also isn't very exciting either. So to me, they're not getting a top guy. That's not happening. They're not, they can't, they don't have the assets and I don't think they're willing to trade the assets, whether Dubas is going to be gone or not. But to me, they definitely have to find a way to, to, get somebody to play on that third or fourth line. Well, and I keep sitting here talking about the theater of Kyle Dubas's future. So we're talking about it from the perspective of, hey, man, your back is against the wall. You got to do what you got to do here. Like, you got to... Let's say they win the round and you keep your job and you've made that deal. Yeah. And you've traded away assets and futures for a rental. And I honestly believe... You can't afford to resign. You would think that way, too. Yes. And and also, he's also... He's also following through on his promise. Yeah. He's going to ride or die with this group. Yep. And they sh- and if you're if if this group is as good as everyone thinks they are and they're they're paid like it, then they should be able to get it done. And to me, all you can really do at this point is just try to fill in the little holes. Those top guys are supposed to be good enough to to win a round. Well, but you just got to plug in some other guys to to kind of and- offset how effective the Nick Pauls are, the Corey Perry's, the Sorelli's, the like, yeah, like all those guys. If you're going to stack, we went through it, I think, not last episode, the one before. We went through Tampa's bottom six. It doesn't even compare to the Leafs' bottom six. Like, you don't, there, there's no one the Leafs have in, in their bottom six that is as effective as a Corey Perry or a Nick Paul at what they do. And I know Corey Perry is like a polarizing player, but like the guy plays a role and he's effective at it and he does it for cheap. Yeah, it's just, it, they have characters. Yes. Like, it, they have characters who are going to appear in a playoff series. Pierre Engvall is not a character. No. Pierre Engvall is the closest thing to a bubble hockey player I've ever seen. He can only do this. What do you say he to the... He can't do this. He can only do this. What do you say to the people who... I'm, I'm glad you brought him up, because what do you say to the people who I saw on Twitter this week who are like, if Pierre Engvall was a... Nashville Predator. I always pick the Predators for some reason. Yeah, you really do. I do. I always pick the Predators. If Pierre Engvall was a Nashville Predator, we'd be looking at him going, they should go get a guy like Pierre Engvall. He, you know what? He's a big guy. You can put him in your, plug him into your bottom six. He's got some size. He's got a little bit of scoring touch. Like, and I thought that was interesting in the sense that like, it shows the perspective we have here. Like we as a Leaf team, I do it all. Nobody loves to, loves to uh, chirp Pierre Engvall more than I do. But, like, that's actually true. Like, we yeah, sit no, here now true. and we go, oh, my God, Pierre Engvall, you're 6'5", but you play, like, you're 5'6". But it's like, if he was, a, a, like I said, a Nashville Predator, you'd sit here and you'd go, look at this guy, Pierre Engvall, 6'5", you can plug him in on your third line, he can 
get some good minutes out of him. He could score. Alex Kerfoot, same thing. Like, I think teams would be scared away by Alex Kerfoot's cap pit. But if you're if you're another team, if Alex Kerfoot was like I said a member of the Seattle Kraken, you'd be looking at him going, "What if they wouldn't got a guy like Alex Kerfoot?" No, you're, it's you're right. I mean that that's that's the thing. You're just you watch these players night in night out, and then you start to kind of sour on them because you're, you're you get familiar with them. But I always just try and think about the series that this that they've lost over the past couple seasons, and it, and it just what we've talked about. It, it always just seems like there are characters that show up for whoever they're playing who make the difference. And and they just don't have any of those guys. So Pierre Engvall might be a guy that you look at at Nashville and be like, this is a, a guy we need. But I, I've seen Pierre Engvall in the playoffs plenty of times now. And guess what? He might be a nice little player in the regular season who has a great goals above expected, but he does nothing. Like well, he, he really contributes nothing when it really matters. Well, this is what I said to you a couple weeks ago about the curse. And like, what is it about guys who just put on that jersey and they're like, well, to me, if you, I'm not going to be effective at all. If you put Pierre Engvall on the third line of the Boston Bruins, that would be interesting to see. Like, what would happen if he played on that team? Yes. Like, how would he fit in there? Yes. And how effective would he be? And just the style that they play and the players they have, would that open up a bit more opportunity for him? Or would he just be the same guy he is here, a soft winger? who occasionally scores a nice goal. I honestly believe, too, I, I think it's dawned on me when, the, when everyone's talking about how, how shit they do against bad teams. I, I honestly just believe that the Toronto Maple Leafs just have that effect on every other team in the NHL. Every team in the NHL hates how much attention this, this team gets, and they love watching them lose and choke away. So when... The Columbus Blue Jackets play the Toronto Maple Leafs. I honestly believe that they are more motivated to beat the Maple Leafs than they are against the Tampa Bay Lightning. So two things on that. I think what you're getting at is the fact that Toronto is the hockey mecca of the league. So two things on that. One, the Leafs handled them the night before in what I thought was one of the most boring hockey games I've ever watched in my life. And I mean that in the best way. Like it was a perfect road game. Like it was boring. They shut them down. They scored some goals. It was, it was great. The Columbus Blue Jackets are awful. So you come in on a Saturday night, hockey night in Canada. You're already out of it. You've been out of it for months. This is the biggest game of the season. How many of these guys are from the greater Toronto area or Ontario or Canada for that instance and know the Saturday night 7 p.m. Leaf game is the national stage in this country and we've had a dog shit season. So let's go. We're going to have the game of our life tonight. That's the first point. The second point is something I've hit on a couple of times already. So all these idiots who are like, Dubas is going to walk if you don't give him an extension. He's going to turn to Shanahan and go, I'm out of here, buddy. Uh, no, he's not, because he's the general manager of the, of the hockey mecca of the world. He's the general manager of the most relevant team in all of the league, a team that moves the needle in all of the league, a, the most important franchise in this league, period. So he's not going anywhere. Yeah, and I think what I was, like, picture Pierre Engvall on the Bruins. Um, he probably will look better. And it's and like what you said, it's almost like a curse. It's, it's when you bring in a player from another team and from the outside and what you've seen from him in another uniform, 
it looks good. And then they come here and it seems like they kind of just fall into the leaf lull of being soft and, and not getting the job done. And, and I just really believe that if you're going to play for this franchise and, and deal with just everything that comes with it, you need to, you, there needs to be like a specific personality trait that players on this team need to deal with it and just kind of, grab the bull by the horns and just be like, you know what? We're not, we're not doing this. Like we're, we're going to, we're not going to let this team steamroll us. Like it's just, again, they're missing characters. They don't have any characters. You don't like the ensemble cast. No, I don't. Yeah. I think they just, they just don't have the it's personality. Like, like it's I like, don't know. it's like, it's like when you watch Avengers, I'm going to go full Colin Cowherd here. It's like when you watch Avengers, you look at a character like, the Winter Soldier. B-level, C-level character. But you cast a guy like Sebastian Stan, instantly gives that character legitimacy. You look at Ant-Man. Ant-Man's a franchise! Ant-Man's a three-film franchise for a C-level character. How did that work? Cast an established actor like Paul Rudd to play Ant-Man. Yeah, that was my cowherd. No, I like that. It was That's good. Yeah, that was that was the perfect Colin Cowherd analogy. I like that. It's just, I mean, it it, it it's kind of a dumb conversation because it's really not a tangible thing. This is just us. Yeah, you need guys who being look, Leaf yeah. fans. Yeah. Like, it's not really something you can prove. It's just we've seen enough failures to know that for some reason, um, it just never works out here for anybody. Yes, and they never get it done. So it's really kind of a dumb conversation. But I just. I think the theme for me this episode is just they don't have the right people, they don't have the right characters, and I don't. And for that reason, I don't feel confident them going up against this fourth line of the Lightning of Maroon, Perry, and Belmar. And we have Aston Reese, Pontus Holmberg, who I I do like Pontus, and and the revolving door of say, wingers. Pontus slander will not be tolerated on the Talking no. Heads Leave show. No. Two things I want to ask you before we get out of here. Austin Matthews makes his return Wednesday night against the Chicago Blackhawks. You are tripling and quadrupling down on your take that you pay this guy whatever he wants and you worry about everyone else later. That includes Mitch Marner. And includes I agree everybody. with you. So please elaborate on that. I, I, I know you have to build a balanced roster and a hard salary cap. And even Marshan was here a couple of weeks ago and poked fun at their players taking less and the Leafs taking more. But when Austin Matthews is not in the lineup and when he draws back in the lineup after watching this team without him, it's just they're they're an irrelevant hockey team without him. And I, I know it's not fun thinking about a guy making $15 million a year, but I, I'm sorry. As a Leaf fan, and from what I've seen, I would be willing to throw a blank check right in front of his face to make sure that through good and bad, through wins and losses, that this guy is your is here for life. I wouldn't go as far as to say they're irrelevant without him. I would go as far as to say that watching this hockey team is mind-numbing when Austin Matthews is not in the starting lineup. I, I like Mitch Marner a lot. I think he's a great hockey player. I like William Nylander a lot, especially after this season. I think he's just taken it a whole other level. And I like Tavares, but it's just having that 
it's also the position he plays too. It's the number one center position. The guy who's capable of scoring 60 and is now capable of winning the Selkie, which is just, you're never going to find that. If you let go of this man, you will be spending eternity trying to replace him. I tell you what, man. Eternity. <laughs> yeah, I tell you what, man. I, I, people ask me all the time about this podcast, and they're like, oh, you do your podcast. Well, and I'm like, yeah, you know, it's just so my brother and I, we do it for fun. We love doing it. We love the team. We love watching the team, and we just have a lot of fun. Doing this and watching 82 hockey games would be significantly less fun if 34 was not your starting centerman night in and night out. They are a mind-numbing hockey team to watch without him. Just think about, think about the history of this hockey team. When they had number one centers through the 90s and, and, uh, and now... They've always been a competitive playoff team. And, and then you go back the years where we were counting on Tim Connolly to be the number one center of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And, and they didn't make the playoffs. Tim Connolly comes in and we're like, oh, man, yeah, plug him in. Plug yeah, him in for, with, with Phil Kessel and Joffrey Lupel. Yeah. We were, oh, my we, God. He can facilitate Phil Ke- Like, that's, that's a nightmare. And I know you have Tavares, but Tavares just can't be that guy anymore. So I... I I think after this season, your number one priority. Yeah, you Every, hand him everyone, a blank check. everyone is dead yeah. to you, except yeah. yes. you put all Including- your focus. I don't care about I love William Nylander. I do. But William Nylander can be replaced. Yeah. Austin Matthews cannot be replaced. He yeah. cannot. Yeah. So you do whatever you have to do to make sure this guy is wearing this uniform what do you say until to the, he retires. What do you say to the people? And I listen, I actually believe that there's credence to this. I really do. And you I, I I think I know what your reaction is going to be when I say this. But what do you say to the people that when his deal is up in a few years, 97's coming home to wear the blue and white? Well, I, I've said that. Yeah. I was the I think I like to think I was the one who kind of started that whole thing. Cause I do believe that he would come here in a heartbeat if he really wanted to, because I just think his ego is that big. So if Matthews does walk, that's the only saving grace that's the only I think saving we grace. have is there, I do believe that there's a legitimate possibility that Connor McDavid walk. Well, I, I think he's gone from Edmonton regardless. I don't think he's re-signing in Edmonton. But I think there's a legitimate possibility that he signs here. Yeah, where where else would Connor McDavid? Like, uh, Matthews, it's it's different because he's got a different personality. And he's a U.S.-born player. he's a U.S.-born player. So I get him wanting to go to L.A. or New York or whatever. I, I don't think he's ever going to play at Mullet Arena, but... But with Connor McDavid, it's just, I mean, this is, again, we're getting into the Patrick Kane's coming to Toronto kind of crazy conversation. Oil hat. But this is my, like, hot take of the century for the past year. It's just this guy's got a big enough ego, and he knows he's the best hockey player to ever, maybe to ever put on a pair of skates. And I think he's got a big enough ego to want to come here and take on that challenge. And he loves it. And he, and he like, he wants to be here, seemingly. Yeah. I, I would like to get, I'm not, like, to me, when I think about Matthews leaving, it's just like, where would he actually go? I think he would go to... Like, I, who has... It's not even about where he wants to go. It's about who has... What good team... Because he's not going to a, a crap team. He wants to go to a good team. What good team has the salary cap availability to to sign him to a free agent contract? Well, the, you, I think you can eliminate the New York Rangers immediately. from that. And I think if you... I think... 
the team that scares me the most is I think he could be potentially sold on a rebuilding LA Kings team and being like, I mean, and, and they're not exactly even like rebuilding. No, no, either. no, no. Like, and like that's the thing. It's like they the LA Kings are not a team that is like uh, like five years away. Like the LA Kings are already well into their sort of retool as an organization. So I think you could look at you could look at him and say, I think they to me the team that scares me the most with respect to Austin Matthews leaving is the Los Angeles Kings. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I hope is almost done. That, that would give you the room, but they, they, again, right now they only have a million bucks to spend. And so like, you would really have to go. I, I admit I've not done this research because I just really thought about it right now, but you'd really have to go through the larger American markets. Cause that's where you'd probably want to go and see who is, who's got some expiring contract to have the ability to sign this guy the contract he's going to demand because it's going to be by far the biggest contract in the history of the league. One more question for you. And it's about the, the current team and their play. What? And I've been on this for a couple weeks. What in God's name happened to this team defensively? They are brutal. Like they, they're running around. Everybody's out of position, giveaways, chances up the middle. Like what the hell? Like we sat here in November and we're like, wow, defensive structure. Look at this. Look at what Sheldon Keefe has done. And it's just, it's a fire drill every time against bad hockey teams. Like the Chicago Blackhawks are in the Connor Bedard sweepstakes. They're that bad. I thought they cleaned it up in the second and third, but the first period. Oh they my gave god! Up like running around, like what are we doing, fellas? I don't know. I I think, I, like, do you think it's personnel related? Because I don't. I saw these same guys play a fantastic defensive structure for all of November and most of December. I think it's a, a couple factors. Number one, there was a lot of injuries at that point, and I think the guys coming in and filling in the roles were kind of playing out of their minds a bit. Number two. I'm starting to give the Leaf fans who are saying, of course, they're playing their best hockey in November and December, starting to give them their due a little bit because they have a point. They do have a point. And do you think that this speaks to, there's a lot of people who say, of course, they play their best hockey in November and December because a lot of teams don't start ratcheting it up until we get closer to playoff time, which I I, I agree with. But at the same time, it's like, Columbus is not a playoff team. Why are they dominating you in your own end at home on a Saturday night? And I'll also say that at that point of the season, Matt Murray and Elias Samsonov were sporting 930 save percentages. Like they they also could have been masking what like I I mean Samsonov still is a great has having a great year and I and I feel confident with him in the net, but that that was also the point where those two guys both were sporting nine thirties. So maybe get, maybe they they also helped in that department as well. I get that, Ryan, but I just like if I'm looking specifically off like eye test here, like like they're they're twenty ninth in the no no they're sixth in the league. Sorry, wrong number. I was like, they're still like, like there's, there's, the numbers look good. Like I've got the numbers here in front of me. Yeah, they're like, still a good fifth in the league yeah. goals allowed, sixth in the league shots on goal, penalty kill percentage fourteenth, sold middle of the road in penalty minutes like. Like the numbers are good. They're just giving up more like, high danger yes. opportunities. Yes, and it's to me I was just I just was like I just loved watching them play that way and play with that structure, not seeing guys run like I am done watching Justin Hole play hockey. 
And he's another guy who I saw on Twitter this week that, like, when I was talking to you about Pierre Engvall earlier, how many of us would be sitting here going, you know, they should go get a guy like Justin Hole, like big body, kills penalties, you can slide him in at a your big, number six. A big body who doesn't hit and can't and doesn't have and great just looks speed. Lost every moment of his life. Looks lost out there. Yeah, I always find don't you find it interesting how uh, when a defenseman gets plugged in in a top four role that sometimes the opinion of that player just gets elevated because they're just playing so many minutes? I, if, like, if, who, like, who actually decided that he's a top four defenseman? Nobody. If, if I was they, going to rank, here's Rob's defensive depth chart for the Toronto Maple Leafs right now. TJ Brody, Timothy Lilligren. Mark Giordano, Morgan Riley, Rasmus Sandin, Connor Timmons, Justin Hall. I think Sandin has had a. I think Sandin is is a, a fine, damn fine hockey player. So would you? He he is a, he is a really good hockey player, but he has he has moments and shifts. Like I don't see Timothy Lilligren making the boneheaded decisions that. Sandine does, but from I, time but to I time. do think Sandine. So would you flip Sandine and Riley? I I think Morgan's just had a tough year because he had an injury, and I just think he just hasn't really his identity's been a little lost this year. It's just he's not he's not getting fifty points anymore. Like his his pr- production's down, and and when he's not producing, then his pinches kind of stick out a little bit more, and his and his and his risk taking sticks out more, but. I, I think Rasmus Sandin is, I mean, I think he's arguably their most physical defense. I would, fl- I, I'm not I, opposed, I if you want to flip him, if you want to flip him and Riley, so if you want to go Brody, Lilligren, Giordano, Sandin, Riley. I hate, I just, I have him a problem disrespecting Morgan, but I just think he's had a tough year. I, I don't know if there's... Friedman, Friedman said the other day that the, the Elliot Friedman said the other day that the organization is starting to sour on Morgan Riley. I mean, they just signed him. To, I mean, yeah. he's just started his new contract, yeah. and it's not it's not crazy, but it's also not. It's I mean, if Morgan Riley scored a few more goals, I think that would change. Yeah, I just think I just like, think he he's always he's been always been a great skater. He's never been shut down, but he's always had the ability to rack up some assists. And then the one year, a couple of years ago, he, he potted a bunch of goals and he was always projected to be an offensive defenseman. And I think he's just kind of lost his identity this season. And I also think that we are falling in love with Lilligren a little bit too much because we were, because it's a good story. I mean, he's played very well, I think, he's but awesome. let's, let's not, let's not, per, let's not plug this guy in as the number one defenseman for the next 10 years. You know, I th- like, I think he's awesome. It's just you're, you, who you're talking about right there is, is me. <laughs> I, I think he's awesome. I think if people were like, if you wanted to flip around Brody and Lil, if you wanted to make the case that Timothy Lillard, I don't is think their TJ Brody's their best defenseman. I'm sorry. I don't. In terms of playing defensive TJ Brody hockey, makes me like angry sometimes. In terms of playing defensive hockey and shutting the guys down and I think not they making take turns. stupid dis- choices, I think Brody, guys who in the defensive zone, when they have the puck on their stick, I'm not worried about them doing something stupid. TJ Brody, Timothy Lilligren, everyone else. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I don't I think they take that that's why I, I don't have an order. I don't. I think every single night it changes. That's why I have Sandine so much lower on my list because I'm trying to find the quote that Friedman gave about Morgan Riley. I, I, I know what you're talking. Yeah, I, I saw it. Yeah, he said it on he said it on 32 Thoughts, I believe. Like I, I paraphrased it, so whatever. There, there was a quote made, I think, from Elliot Freeman about how the organization is souring a bit on Morgan Riley. But anyways, the reason why I put Rasmus Sandin so much lower on the list is because there are moments. I think he's a good player too. I think he's got a ton of upside, and I think you could make the case that he makes Riley expendable. But there are moments where I watch Sandin and I'm like, what? What are yeah. you doing? Like so. I just think he has the highest ceiling in terms of. I think he's their most physical defenseman, which is shocking. I think he's their best puck mover when he's at his best. And I think he has the, he's their best off. I think he's the biggest offensive upside back there as well. We're arguing semantics here since it's the bottom of the list, but do you agree with me putting Connor Tibbins above Justin Hole? Justin Hole, here's the problem with Justin Hole. He's a big defenseman who doesn't hit and doesn't skate very well. And I like that's, that's the problem. I, do I think he's the worst hockey player I've ever seen? No, I don't. But it's just, what you're seeing this season with Lilligren and Sandine being better and Connor Timmons coming up and playing better, it's just having a defenseman with a little bit more speed and a little bit more offensive upside, and they're they're not worse defensively than Justin Hole. It's just there's not a lot of room for a, a big defenseman who's not physical and can't skate anymore. He's going to get exposed, and he has been getting exposed. But since they've had nobody... And he had one decent year with Muzzin, who it's it's just all of a sudden we like plugged him in in this role, and it's just he just doesn't fit it. And it's really sh- and he goes through his ups and downs. That's for sure. That's one thing about Justin Hole. It's just he's an up and down defenseman, and right now he's just on a complete downturn. I just want to give Ryan his props because I've been sitting here on my laptop trying to find this Elliot Friedman quote, and Ryan just stalled for time and allowed me to do that. So everyone, tip your cat to Ryan. So here's the quote from Elliot Friedman. I think you're going to see Toronto surprise everyone with respect to the trade deadline. They're looking for a long-term solution on left wing, and Riley has started to fall out of favor with management and fans. Yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to make an argument of why he's been so good. It's just more of he's the longest-tenured guy. He's a likable guy. He's been their best defenseman for their best defenseman by almost like process of elimination for a long time. And yeah, he just hasn't had a great year. He's kind of just lost his identity a bit. Yeah. And if, if the offensive production was there, I think it would be a different story, but it's not. So it's high risk, low reward. At this yeah. Point. Sometimes the pinching doesn't look good when you're not scoring, man. We sat down at the beginning of this and I'm like, what are we going to talk about? And here we are going on 40 minutes here. Look at this. Look at us. We did it. Yeah, we did it. We're on. We're on yeah. the. Uh, sometimes, sometimes it takes a while to get the juices. Yeah, going. get the juices yeah. warmed up. Thoughts going through your head. That's another thing. You know, I started off this this show talking about like yours and my personal brand and how we like to do things and like part of that too is like we make some notes about like topics we want to hit. But when you and I sit down and we turn these mics on, like it's it's pretty off the cuff. Yeah, and I know some people like that and some people don't. But hey. We're heavily sports radio influenced. What can I say? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, everybody, for checking us out. If you like what you see, hit that like and subscribe button below. Spread the word. Tell your friends. We really appreciate it. We'll catch you guys next time. Hi, I'm Joel McLeod, co-host of the 905er podcast. 
The 905 is one of the most diverse and densely populated regions of Canada. Four and a half million of us live, work, and play in the area surrounding Toronto. That's more people in the 905 than actually live in Toronto. Each election, the 905 decides who forms our government at both the provincial and federal levels. So why isn't more attention being focused on us here in the 905? We're looking to change that. My co-host Roland Tanner and I tell the stories that define what we are calling the most important region in Canada. Each week, we bring to your attention news, culture, and issues that make up what it means to be a 905er. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. Or you can visit us at 905er.ca to subscribe. podcast that goes everywhere the imagination dares. It's for the open-minded, the pleasure seeker. It's Jeff Woods with the new podcast about relationships and sexuality, theme-based with special guests, Blue Hotel Hotline, and every episode climaxes with an adult bedtime story. Get a room and listen in at the Blue Hotel. Begins Friday, September 23rd.